welcome to Two Boomer Women. I'm your host, Agnes Knowles. I've been talking with Boomer women for almost a decade now. (laughs) Well, I guess I've been talking to Boomer women all my adult life. Uh, Reinventing myself several times along the way, though, but always focused on us, Boomer women. With this incarnation of Two Boomer Women, I'll be interviewing other women who have a message of interest for our demographic. If you want to hear about or learn about something specific, let me know and I'll find someone who understands us to talk about it. There's a contact page at twoboomerwomen.com. If you want to be a guest on Two Boomer Women, bring it on. There's an application form at the website, too. Finally, this show is all about conversation. We women know its value. We know how to do it and we must perpetuate the art form. So, let's get started with today's show. Welcome to the Two Boomer Women Podcast. I'm your host, Agnes Knowles. The structure of families these days is as varied as the houses they live in. Combine the state of affairs in the world today with the love that dwells in the hearts of so many parents and wishing to be parents, and those variations multiply. As grandparents, we work to ensure the love between us and our grandchildren doesn't change as divorce becomes increasingly common. We open our hearts as our children remarry and we welcome ready-made grandchildren into our lives. And more and more often, we, we welcome a new grandchild that not only is culturally not similar, but may not even speak a language we know, as our children opt for international adoptions. Sometimes these children have experienced trauma in their short lives that we can't even imagine, and sometimes the facts of past trauma aren't even known. We're grandparents. We're full of love. But how do we greet and manage and love these children in the best way possible, the best way for them? How do we help them become part of a family that they don't know, they may not look like, that eat different foods, have different practices? It really is complex. My guest today is an international adoption mom. That was over 20 years ago, so over time she's figured it out, and she's going to talk to us today to help us understand what we can do to be the best possible grandparents we can be in these situations. Anna Maria Didiel, here. welcome to the Two Boomer Women podcast. Thank you for being here. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Anna Maria, perhaps the best place to start is at the beginning. Why did you and your husband decide on an international adoption and why Mexico? Well, uh, well, we first chose uh, adoption because we were looking for, we wanted a a sibling for our daughter. So we had a a biological child. And then as the uh, years went by, it was clear that we were not able to add to our family naturally and uh, wanted to reach out. And we explored many adoption alternatives Uh, In the U.S., it was particularly difficult, and we just by happenstance heard of this connection to uh, an agency or to uh, an agency that dealt with many, many uh, orphanages in Mexico and uh, applied there. And we're assured, because by that time, we were looking for an older child. Our, Our daughter was seven, soon to be eight. And so we thought, why not pursue an older child through international adoption? What sort of preparation went into that process? Like, was it just a matter of applying, or did you have to go through legal channels? Yeah, it, well, the international process differs for every country, and um, and it always and we had been through many other agencies, so we had had we had 
been meeting with uh, therapists, working with social workers, read books, went to training sessions. And um, we were, we were because we had been down the adoption road uh, before. But yes, the, uh, it was a lot of preparation just because of our own interest and because the, uh, the agency encouraged us to reach out to others who had adopted from Mexico and internationally. And then we knew other families that had adopted internationally. So that was all part of a network that really helped us quite a bit. Oh, that's, yeah, that's good networks. And uh, just knowing that you're not the first person to go down a road is uh, really helpful. So what were the first, well, you got your daughter, obviously. Yes, and it, she was seven. Okay, I take it it wasn't a walk in the park. What were some of the first issues that arose for your daughter? And I guess what were the, some of the first issues that arose for you and your husband? Well, the realization dawned pretty quickly that uh, she w- was not happy. I mean, this when you hear the word orphanage, maybe some things come to mind. But in Mexico, the, the orphanage where she lived was a very loving place. Um, the women that took care of the children were called Tia's and our daughter was particularly close to one of them, the director of the uh, orphanage. And it was a series of, of different orphanages with uh, children uh, in residence uh, at different ages. And um, it was just a place full of love and fun. And, and well, can, can you imagine though, just, it was in Cuernavaca, Mexico. I'm not sure if you're familiar. It's a lovely kind of vacation spot outside of Mexico City. And uh, so, you know, she lived with about 30 or so children there. And uh, there was a swimming pool. And again, the, the environment was was really wonderful. And then so she was there. And then the, the next day she woke up in suburban Philadelphia. So, I, I mean, just that transition at the time, I don't think I really appreciated that. And uh, it was just a matter of uh, language was really the first issue and just her, her just tremendous loss. I mean, adoption begins with separation and loss. And she experienced that uh, two times over, like a double sort of whammy that she was uh, in the orphanage and then separated from the women that had cared for her for many years. It's interesting because I think so many of us, when we think about international adoption, orphanages, we do think that, and, and I'm not trying to be that person, but it's almost like we are rescuing the child. We're giving them a loving home, that sort of thing. But then when you realize they're taking them out of a loving, caring situation, that's quite nice. And, and I'm and sorry, the difference it. between right, right. And, and, the, the difference between Mexico and Philadelphia would be pretty climate alone. Yes, exactly. And, and just everything culturally, you know, what she was used to doing and, and, and eating and her routine and, um, you know, and, and, and your friends would feed into that, of course. Oh, isn't she lucky? She's so lucky that she has such a wonderful family like you to care for. And, and, you know, maybe that's, that's true, but we, we didn't do it to, to, you know, win a, a prize or anything, but we were, we were hoping to, you know, grow our family. And uh, she was just not having it. And that, that process took many years. And I, I don't think that I uh, really was uh, aware of that. And, um, and that, that's the reason that I really started journaling our experience and writing about it, and just giving others the opportunity to think about what a big transition, what a traumatic transition this really is. With it being 
a, a big transition, a traumatic uh, transition. I, I can see it would take a lot of time, a lot of energy. How about your uh, your older daughter? You know, it's there was just so much uh, resistance initially, and obviously the language barrier uh, that it really took some time. I, I would stay, say honestly now that they're still not close. I mean, they're two so completely different personalities that. Uh, and I can talk a little bit about what we what we did to kind of encourage them to get together. But it was um, they went to the same elementary school and then they went to different high schools. So in a way that was almost good, they had the opportunity to kind of be their own person. You know, now they live on separate coasts. So <laughs> the, uh, the struggles continue, but uh, I'm ever hopeful. Now, I'm coming at it from a, a grandparent angle throughout the struggles um and it sounded like it took a little time if grandparents if we the grandparents are usually included in family life how involved do we get with this like we like are we just a buffer are we just a sounding board can we try to provide some grandparent type love like like where do grandparents fit into like especially if it's a struggle well let me just say this that grandparents were something now I mentioned the loving environment uh, at the orphanage and in in my daughter's mind and experience that equated to mom mother Mm -hmm. but in the orphanage setting just think about it there are no grandparents so I can just tell you and your (laughs) listeners that there's no more fun and wonderful uh, experience than seeing your child just discover that there's such a thing as grandparents my uh, my daughter when she just would follow my my mother around the house and just say grammy 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 and she just loved to say the words it was just really fascinating so the grandparents represent just kind of another way to get close to the family that i again i i was kind of surprised i thought well you know how's this going to work out but it was really uh, wonderful. My mother, the other grandchildren were a little older, and uh, this was a chance to be a grandmother all over again. And the first girl, the other grandchildren were boys. So it was it was really terrific. So I would encourage grandparents to get involved, read stories, just be there, go to dance recitals. That, that's what we tried to do, just be inclusive. And... Sorry, some of these questions are really personal, and you're welcome to say you don't want to answer them. Um, but I'm just thinking that, you know, your elder daughter, was she a little possessive about grandma? Uh, yes, yes and no, but but shared pretty pretty easily. That was, um, one, now she had been an only child for eight years. So that was a bigger transition. It's just the whole sharing concept. But the end at the end of the day, it was it was so much better for her and for the family. So that that I was glad for that. Yeah, so I could see actually that you know you could a grandmother, for example, grandparent could be someone special to each child in a different way. So you know when you're whatever your your birth daughter, whatever I don't know what the, the phrase is, but when she needed just a little bit of her own time you know the grandparents could step in there and then they were a novelty abu was a novelty to your adoptive daughter 
what other issues arose for the family as time went by? I mean, I realize that you reached a stage where you had two teenage daughters, which may have been a whole nother adventure. But uh, were there any other, like how long for the language to, to kick in and stuff like the that? Language, well, the, it was interesting with regard to the language because we were very sensitive to the fact that she had lost her language and lost her, her cult- cultural uh, touchstone. So we tried to encourage her to retain her Spanish. And at one point she said to us, you know, why did you adopt me if you didn't speak Spanish? And so she was mourning that law. It was another loss, which was unfortunate. So we, we hired tutors. We tried to encourage uh, the, the use of the Spanish. But, you know, without someone in everyday conversation, it was, it was hard. So when school uh, kicked in, I think it was then by that point, middle school and then high school, of course, where the Spanish language was a requirement. I saw like a, a little spark reignited and, and a, much of it came back uh, pretty quickly. And that I think just helped her confidence, helped her um, with a little bit more of a realization of who she is a, a lot adopted children. I think, you know, she was just, uh, she, you know, looked different and always sounded a little different. And, and when she got that Spanish back, it, it was a real, as I said, boost for her and her identity. Well, and I'm sure, too, she would quickly become one of the, the better Spanish speakers in her class, yeah. which uh, which would really help her, you know, whether it's her self-esteem or whatever, but just knowing exactly. mm-hmm. I got this. Mm-hmm. Good. I'm going to ask you a question that you're welcome to plead the fifth on. Now that the girls are adults and everything has worked out in its own way, in those really dark hours, was there ever a time when you questioned your decision? Oh, yes. You don't have to answer that. <laughs> Now you're thinking, not question in terms of, I don't want to do this anymore, but just, okay, center and what, what are we after as a family? And uh, we, we never lost sight of the family and, um, and, and, you know, the, the journey is just so funny because it's, there were, you know, dark times too. And we, I would encourage parents, grandparents to rely on, on professionals that, that help through these difficult uh, transitions. But she is just a funny, spunky, hilarious kid that, again, personality is so different from my other daughter. So we had many uh, family experiences where we would kind of celebrate the two differences and really uh, enjoy them. So it's... Um, as you said, it's, it's, it's many years later and we have come through it, but really take the time to be, to celebrate each children in each child individually. And then those moments as a family. I'm really glad to be speaking with you sort of 20 years later, because if anybody's going through it right now, whether as a parent or a grandparent, it's just like, Oh, good. You know, like I've got a few tips now and it, in the long run, we, we all survive the journey. It does last a long time, though. If these, <laughs> and you know, as I said, adoption begins with trauma and loss, and those testing behaviors that that the children who have experienced trauma they they lasted, you know, I'll, I'll say well into college. I mean, it's really was um, there. There were some difficult moments, and we we always just try to not lose sight of, of who we were as a family. 
that might be a good lead into this next question. I was going to ask if I could ask some personal questions, but I guess the last one was pretty personal, but may I ask? Some oh, personal? sure. Okay. Anyway. You were married. You already had uh, your birth daughter, as you say, eight years as a single child. I take it you had a career. How yeah. did all the the trials affect those relationships? Yes, it was, you know, it, it is a very good question. And I often look back at, uh, because we're married uh, 31 years uh, at this point, and we had a very successful uh, divide and conquer philosophy and plan, I guess is what you could say. We just found that we were each better at, at certain things with the children and very naturally focused on those things. And it, it kind of, so we both didn't have to do everything. You know, my husband worked geographically close to home and so could do, you know, pickups at school and maybe a doctor's appointment or, and then as the years went on, actually the, the later, later years, I did work part, partly uh, from home. And so it was just a matter of all kinds of mixing and matching. So, but it, it really made us stronger as a couple. We, we talked over everything. We're unified on a lot of decisions. And as I said, they went to the same elementary school. So, you know, they did Girl Scouts together and dance class. And so we did. And then as they began to form their own personalities and went their separate ways in high school, we carved out the time for them. So it was a little bit of everything, not I'm not sure that was the best answer, but that's what we, that's what we came up with. Well, what I'm hearing is conversation and or communication, like between yes. you and your husband, especially. But also, you know, I, I've got three children that I birthed all three of them and, you know, enough other children in my life that once they get a little bit older and, as you say, get into middle school and high school, yeah, those personalities do really define themselves and you go with the flow. You know, somebody's into soccer, the other person's into uh, swimming or, exactly. you know, whatever. So, yeah. You try and support what you support what you can. Encourage a full, you know, because, we, you know, we were always preparing them for, for college, preparing them for the next step and, uh, you know, doing the best you could for that. So once again, what I'm hearing, and I just want to verify is that because children, as they grow into young adults, they, they become their own person. The fact of adoption also almost drifts into the background because they, they are now two individual young adults. And the fact that one was adopted doesn't change the fact that she has her own interests and her own hobbies and all the rest of it, her own friends. It's uh, Well, and what you're saying is true, but because our, our daughter's heritage remains so important for us as a family, we stayed in touch with the um, women in Mexico and the, as it turns out, our biological daughter had a chance to work at one of the orphanages when she was in college. And we went back and had a visit and were reunited with the women that cared for uh, our, our younger daughter. So it was really super emotional. And, uh, and through the years, and that was quite a few years ago. And then since then, uh, she's, we've kept in touch and um, she she did her, my younger adopted daughter did her own study abroad and uh, visited in, in Mexico and visited with the, uh, her, her caregivers. So. What a nice continuum. I mean, from both yeah. sides of it, you know, your daughter still has that origin story, but those women who loved her for, you know, six, seven years, 
also know that like everything was fine in the end and she did have another loving family and that sort yes. of thing. So uh, that's great. Now, I'm just going to go back for a moment to when you're in the thick of things. You, you mentioned having professionals around. Did you have any other coping strategies besides communication with your husband? Um, we, we had a, well, we had a network of other parents that had adopted that we kind of stayed in touch with and the professionals through the years changed. Um, you know, one was specialized in, um, you know, play therapy and helping younger children. And then, you know, teenage years brings a whole different set of questions and, and anxieties and things that we transition to, um, you know, another therapist that's, that specialized in that. And so, and just try to encourage them both to do what they loved to do in their spare time. And uh, athletics were, were important for both girls. And um, so the, the strategy was really kind of mixed and varied and but consistent in that we tried to develop their personalities. <laughs> I'm going to go sideways for a moment, just because you talked about the other families and just get your opinion. I'm, I'm going to hit you sideways with this. I know a number of families who have embarked on international adoptions. One family adopted two children from the same country, albeit six years apart, so they weren't related, but they at least had the same physical attributes. Another family adopted two siblings together internationally. And a third family that I'm aware of adopted three children over about six years, but each one of them was from a different country. Mm. What are your thoughts on that sort of like all the the, the three different scenarios? Well, my goodness. And, you know, since I've been, uh, since writing my memoir and, and now the children's book, I've been just diving into all sorts of scenarios with families um, in, in writing the book, I was working with a woman who had, had adopted, well, I want to say eight children and, and from different countries, not all from, not all eight from different countries, but a combination. And, and I just, I, I just marvel at, you know, the, the resilience, the parenting skill set, the, the, uh, the bravery, the, it's a lot to have on your plate, of course, because I think, as I mentioned our daughter's heritage was so very important. And so just to, to know where that child comes from and, and know what's, what's needed in that child's life, you know, takes time to unravel. And, um, and you know, who knows, with a, with a large family, there's the support of the other children. So I give them a lot of credit. I'm just thinking, too, with six or eight children from a variety of countries, dinner hours must have been pretty interesting if you try to maintain some of the food choices yes. <laughs> that'd be great I want to be a grandparent to that family <laughs> another question that you're welcome to plead the fifth on I know what the fifth amendment is I've heard that and there's no tactful way to put this that a lot of palms need to be greased en route to international adoptions do you know anything about the prevalence of that you know just what I've read for our particular uh, situation we had a, a a super competent uh, attorney uh, that, that took care of the legal side. And then we had an agency in the U S that had been doing it for years. So the, the fees and, and whatnot were, were pretty much set. I mean, that said international adoption is very costly 
but I have read subsequent to, to uh, you know, our efforts. I've read that adoptions in certain countries were questioned because children, there's a, there's a process that happens, I know internationally, where a, children must, a child must be declared an orphan, that, that there are no parents that will support this child. And that sometimes includes, in our case, it included advertising in the local paper, you know, making sure that no one was, you know, seeking to parent this child. So, but what I have read subsequent to our adopting is that in certain countries, uh, some children were portrayed as orphans when they, in fact, were not. And, and that, as you said, money tra- traded hands for whatever reason. And then children even arrived in the United States with the adopted adoptive families discovering that there were biological parents in the child's native country. So that does happen. I think, you know, there are laws in place now to, to safeguard those things, but uh, we were very fortunate in our case that it was very well managed. Wow. Yeah. The stories I've heard is like once the adoptive parents are on the ground in the other country, there just seems to be, you know, hands coming out saying, yeah, you can get through here after, you know, I see something in my palm. Uh, Yeah, just, anyways, that's a whole other subject. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you're an author now. When did you start writing? And was that therapy? Or did you just hope to prepare other families for this when their adventure began? Yeah, good question. So when we were going through it, I started just to journal the experience because I thought it was just so darn interesting like oh my goodness look at look at this and and how how different my and my as you said the anticipation of what an orphanage would look like who the caregivers were what her life was like uh we visited uh the orphanage twice and uh anyway so so we i just started to journal all of our experiences because so much was happening uh, my older daughter's reactions and and uh her anxieties but then after the adoption was complete and we started living and going through various experiences, I kept writing and I decided to write a memoir about the entire experience. Not quite sure what I was going to do with it. So that process took ooh, about 10 years. So it, it, it took quite a while for me to kind of formulate it into a story. And I, I worked with an editor at one point when I thought I had a first draft. And she said to me, you know, if you're just writing to just say what happened or perhaps for your own therapy that that's really not going to help people. You really need to be as brutally honest as you can about your feelings at the time, why you did certain things, how it affected your marriage. What? So I began to rewrite the whole thing with just a more honest uh, and open look and, and really, really examined um, just everything. And so that was really the memoir. So, so then a few years passed, the memoir was published in 2019, and it's called Love at the Border, you know, meant to convey, of course, our, our child from Mexico, but also just a little bit of a statement there on, you know, her love for us, again, could only go so far for so many years. I mean, she really had, it really took a, a long time for us to evolve as a family. And, and thinking upon that, I thought, well, the best vehicle for those discussions are, are children's books. I mean, what better way for an adoptive parent to to acknowledge behaviors, encourage behaviors, and, and then ultimately, you know, does love win out? You know, maybe, 
but the, the then I, I wrote, I, I'm writing a series of books focusing on adopted children, foster children, blended families, where some of the incident, the first, the first book is, is uh, inspired by true events as you, as, as I think I, I mentioned. So it's really a vehicle for the parent child discussions to see what behaviors are, are out there, acknowledge them and, and try and get through. And I can see how that would be so helpful because when you're in the midst of it, I'm sure it's, it can be a lonely place or it can feel like a lonely place. Yes. Okay, let's go back to our audience now for just a moment. What sort of advice would you give adoptive parents or, or grandparents? Is there anything that sort of we haven't talked about? Well, in terms of parenting and grandparenting, I think it's a matter of just meeting the child where she is or he is meeting, meeting the child at their needs. And do it's, it's not going to be there. There's a phrase, uh, instant family. And it's, yes, you're a family, but it it does take time for the, it did take time for our daughter to, to adapt, to, you know, recover from the the trauma and, and loss of separation, not only from her birth mom, but from the environment and her cultural uh, her cultural environment. So it really is, uh, it, it does take time and uh, thoughtful interaction, if I can say that together. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm just thinking, like, I use the word communication and thoughtful interaction is, is exactly that, like communication on every level. Because you're not going to understand everything they're, they're thinking and feeling. So so I'll just give you an example. My my, my second book is is called How I Wonder Where You Are. And it's about the, uh, the, this, the same girl, her name's Carla, and she's adopted from Colombia. And she's thinking of her birth mom. Now, she was raised in an orphanage, but she's now in a family with a, with a sister that kind of looks like the parents. And she's thinking, I don't look like them. Who do I look like? How do I fit in? What does my birth mom ever think about me? So those thoughts, I, I, I think, should, should be encouraged. It's natural to think about, you know, your, your, your roots, your, your, your culture, your, your genetics. And those things should be encouraged and, and allow children to, to, to grow from there. And, and I've heard the exact same thing about not international, so domestic adoption. You know, the, the children, they do wonder. Now, you offer services, don't you, around? Uh, yes. Well, for, for my books... I participate in obviously podcasts and uh, virtual book discussions. I also have uh, an email address for questions and I am looking for uh, nuggets of wisdom for any grandparents with experience or things that you might have suggestions for to be included in future books. I've done quite a bit of uh, pro bono adoption consulting just to be another ear for parents that might need someone else to talk to. Uh, I'm not a therapist, but uh, I have done adoption coaching. And, um, and as I said, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about writing these books and, and uh, reaching out to parents who are, are, are looking to have conversations and transition with a, making a family. Yeah, isn't that just, uh, I, I love that term, just making a family, you know, no matter what it looks like. Um, right. There's, there's so many variations on that theme. But, uh, yeah. 
Okay, after a little bit of a Zoom glitch there, Anna Marie, I appreciate your patience. We were talking about your children's books, and the question that came to mind was, have you had children read them, like adoptive children? Do they ever say, that's me, or, you know, like, just get excited because somebody understands? Uh, Okay, so just secondhand information is because it's so new. It was just launched within the last month, and I've had several friends give them as gift, give the books as gifts. And the feedback was that there was, you know, smiles around some recognized behaviors and uh, the, the story was touching and they loved it. So it was an answer to your question, good feedback. And some of the, um, some of the uh, behavior portrayed was, was very accurate. <laughs> oh, oh, that's good. Well, yeah, it would have to be accurate. <laughs> you lived it. Oh my goodness. Okay, so so where do people find you online? I want to start there. Website is A-M-D-D-O. That's A-M-D-I-D-I-O dot com. And then the books are for sale currently. It will be expanding, but currently on Amazon. So just search my name, Anna Maria DiDio, and the book should come right up. Okay, yeah. So the, the links to the book was the important part. So, And I always put links in the show notes. Now, I want to... Before we wrap, I want to end on a positive note. Could you tell us about your family today? Now, you've mentioned that the girls aren't super, super close, but like, how about yours and your husband's relationships with each of them, I guess? And because I think that the story has ended pretty happily. Yes. Yeah. So, so as these personalities have evolved, you know, our time with our daughters has evolved. And for example, uh, the older daughter, our, our biological child, and, and my husband are very oh, connected through sports. And uh, I'm a, a big sports person, but they do the uh, brackets for the final, the, uh, the NCAAs. They do a football pool. They, uh, my, uh, she does a fantasy football. And, and she's very into numbers. She's a very good uh, mathematician and statistician. And she loves pouring over all the stats for the various teams and um, so, so that's something they kind of do together and they, they both have that math science, um, you know, link. And then, you know, I do different things now. She, she lives on the West coast. So we trade recipes and we visit whenever we can. And, and so then my younger daughter works in the nonprofit uh, world and uh, I'm very connected to that. And, uh, you know, she lives locally, so we have a lot of shared activities. And, and now this, this summer, for the first time, we're trying to arrange a, a, a vacation. You know, with COVID has kind of put a, a damper on a lot of travel, but we're trying to arrange to all go away together. And um, so it's, it's, it's really evolved. And, and, and quite nicely, they've, they've both become just incredible, wonderful women and uh, doing their own thing. And I'm just so proud of them. That was a note I wanted to end on because, you know, we, we talked a lot about the trials and the challenges in your about section. You said you were the mother of two wonderful women. And, and I really thought we should wrap on the fact that it, it did work out in the end. It, it did work out in the end, even if the operative word there is work. <laughs> Listeners, if you or anyone in your life is considering or in the midst of an, an international adoption, I really recommend you check out Anna Maria's books. And learn from her experiences. Oh, my goodness. Thank goodness for people like you that, you know, forge the path and then tell people about it. 
And if you know people that are going into international adoption, make sure you share this episode with them. If you have comments on today's show, you can leave them where you're listening, and we can be found at Apple or Stitcher or TuneIn. Most places a person would listen to podcasts. Of course, there's always a website, twoboomerwomen.com. To leave your comments, click the Join the Conversation tab. Leave stars and reviews as they help us grow. And before you go, hit the subscribe or follow button, and you'll be notified about future interviews with more of my great guests. If you want to be a guest on the podcast or know someone who would, there's an application form at the website too. Anna Maria Didio, thank you so much for being my guest on Two Boomer Women today and sharing what could have, I'm sure, were at the time really the lows. And then thank you for helping me end on on the highs, the pluses of, of family. Thank you. I enjoyed your questions very much. And thank you so much for having me. That's great. Have a, have a great rest of the week. Thank you.